Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Pastor Jason, how you doing? Doing good, Pastor Tyler. How about yourself, man? I'm doing well. Good. The sun is shining. Yes. The air is clear. The tank is clean. The tank is clean. That's for, yes. that's for Finding Nemo. Uh, we, <laughs> love it. We so, are parents. Yeah, yeah. 2319. Yeah, that's yeah. uh. we watched that last night. Yeah. Love Monsters, It's Inc. 43, I'm sorry. It's 2319. Is it 23? Yeah, that's okay. it. Yeah, you got it. Um, so we are moving into week seven of Colossians, and we have made it to the end of chapter two. Yep. Uh, last week was week seven. This coming week, we will be on week eight, and we are diving into the first few verses of chapter three. But today, we will be recovering our sermon from this past Sunday, yeah. and we sort of titled the sermon, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. That's it. Um, we, st- we started this this letter uh, a number of weeks back. You said this in your sermon, and that there were three primary thrusts to the letter, and the first two that we saw were the supremacy of Jesus. Chapter one, for chapter sure. Chapter one, and then the second one is the sufficiency of Jesus. And chapter that's two. Yeah. what we're in the midst of right now. And the first question that I want to ask, because... I know that we were out because of weather and issues with with the monumental like supremacy of Jesus text in Colossians chapter in Colossians chapter one, uh, where he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, this high view of Jesus yeah. Christ, the supremacy of him. And I want to ask the question: Why is it important that before we get to this step of the sufficiency of Jesus, why is it important to see Jesus as supreme before we can even come to him and see him as enough? Yeah, for sure. I think. I would view it as Colossians chapter 1 being like Jesus' credentials. So if you go to a counselor, if you go to a doctor, you're in the waiting room, you're in their office, and a lot of them behind them, there's some things hanging on the wall. Yeah. Um, I remember going and seeing a counselor, and there were all of these degrees and everything on the wall. And what that was was the credentials to say, um, I'm qualified you know, I'm yeah. qualified to to be here and do this. I've sought training, this, that, and the other. And so in a similar way, before Jesus is enough, um, sufficient, you have to know that he's qualified, yeah. who he is. And I think a lot of times in our Bible reading and in preaching in general, preachers oftentimes demand allegiance to Jesus rightly, rightly as you should, yeah. but it's never why he deserves that. Why does Jesus deserve this? And it's because of who he is. It's mm-hmm. He's God. He created it, this, that, and the other. So, yeah, you got to know who Jesus is um, long before you view him as enough. Yeah, what's what's the danger of viewing him as enough, and what's the what's the danger of just going all in with... And let's not even... Let's just zoom out and talk about the, the practicalities of life. Like, what's the danger in, in throwing yourself fully at something without acknowledging its credentials to sure. begin with. Yep. I think I think what you end up getting is this byproduct of, you know, um, Augustine says that he is either Lord over all or he's not Lord at all. Yeah. And what that means is, is that when you know him rightly, this is the Lord of the cosmos. Yeah. And as Tim Keller says, you don't negotiate with the Lord. You don't negotiate with a king. Right. And so when you understand that your place is at the feet of this king, now this king is good, and he is gracious, and his rule and reign is by grace, um, but he's still a king. And so I think if you move beyond that, what you get is what can you give me? 
what can you get from me? Yeah. And then the compartmentalizing of your life is a lot easier. Yeah. But um, when you know that he's the Lord and you see that, that's the game changer. Yeah. That's good, man. That's good. You you opened up with an illustration uh, when when you and your wife lived in St. Louis and you guys would do the Boys and Girls Weekend. Yeah. Uh, with the youth group. Yep. Um, Floating. What a. <laughs> Okay, yep. so so the trip was talk about that for a minute. What's what's the trip look like, and then tell what that guy would come in and give the warning about. Yeah, you so mentioned it on Sunday, we would have these urban kids in South County, St. Louis, and it was really a weekend. It was first called a you know purity weekend back in the day, and it was the weekend to get the guys in a separate place, yeah, get the girls in a separate place, and and talk about some stuff, talk about sexual sin, what does manhood, womanhood look like, yeah, and we did it out in the woods, two hours south of St. Louis, um, in Donovan on Current River, yeah, and so we're taking these urban environment kids that the only river that they've seen is the Lazy River <laughs> in the water park in St. Louis, and right. we're taking them to Current River. And they would just be fascinated that you would get in this tube and float <laughs> all day down Drink this. Drink and Yes, and just Jesus. float down this river and stuff. And I would have a guy, my dad pastored a church in the area at the time, and some of his volunteers would help us out. But this guy had grown up in Donovan his whole life, been around the river his whole life. And so yeah. he would give the speech of, I've grown up around this river. It changes every season. New yeah. trees, new root wads. And he would say, the moment that you don't respect this river is the moment this river will take you out, which my father-in-law is the county coroner, and he would say on average over the years that he would pull one body from the river every summer. It's dangerous, man. Um, But there's a ton of stuff that can take you out um, in the river. And we transitioned and said that Colossians chapter 2 is what Paul is saying to this church. It's the same speech yeah. that in the river of life, there's a number of things in the church yeah. that can take you out, take you under. Yeah, and, for sure. And you need to be aware. Yeah, man, absolutely. And I think the key phrase is in the church. Yep. In the church. Um, a lot of times, well, we, we saw three things in verse 8, verse 16, and verse 18 of chapter 2. Uh, verse 8, it says, see that no one takes you captive. Yep. Uh, verse 16, no one passed judgment on you. And then verse 18, let no one disqualify you. And I think to view those within the scope of, within the context of the local church is massively important because I can read these and I can externalize them to comments that offend me on Facebook or things that irritate me about what other people believe or whatever, and then I can internalize it and turn it into this thing that Paul is not saying that that's what that is. He's saying that it is is within the context of a local church, these are things that can take you out if if you go with that. And... And so it may, where I was going with this is what I was thinking about, like, these conversations that we have about the enemy. Like, mm. like we think as, as believers and as, as Christians, we often believe, like, the enemy is, like, out there. Like, yeah. the enemy is outside in the world, and he's the one who put the nail in my tire this morning yep. to prevent me from getting to church on time. Or yep. he's the one who's making my bank account dwindle and dwindle because I spend so much time on Amazon. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, and so there is an, there is an enemy, and I, I love what... Uh, uh, George Clooney says in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like, what's he look like? Well, he obviously is a scaly fellow with a bifurcated tail and carries a hayfield. Like, <laughs> right. And shows up at your door, as you said, on Sunday with a bag of heroin. And yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's deny sin. Jesus let's and sin. sin. He doesn't do that. Yeah. So so there is an enemy, but how how is that present? Like, how is this how is this enemy within the context of the local church and these dangers and these warnings different um, than maybe the one that we see outside of the church and that's mm. painted on these sure. hallmarky 
Yeah. I think um, one of the greatest resources into spiritual warfare, um, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Yeah, man. It's a letter. Um, it's letters back and forth from a scene. It's kind of a fictional-based from a senior demon that's an apprentice uh, and leading a younger demon to attack um, a Christian. And it's eerie yeah. and, and very scary, um, the advice. Like, C.S. Lewis had to go to a dark place to write ask, that, like, man. Where in the world are you Whoa. in your mind to sit down and write the screw tape? Well, letters? you're very familiar with your Bible Amen. in order to write that. Yeah, but man. basically the thrust of it always is, is keep him distracted. Right. Keep him busy. Yeah. Do not give an outward attack. Right. And what we see in the scriptures is inward division outweighs outside opposition. Yeah. So the greatest threat for the church of D- Jesus Christ is not the government right. or the, the the liberals or the cons- right. it's it is not outside. Yeah. It is inside the church. Yeah. It is getting taken out by things that that we are unaware of, yeah. and and the enemy knows that. Yeah. And so, um, one of the things that I'm encountering in in studying and preaching through this book is how Paul is addressing these things inside the church, yeah, man. and and warning these people of that. So for us as Christians. Um, Absolutely, we we've got to be aware of division, false teaching, and things creeping in from inside the life right. of the church. Right, because outside opposition unifies the church. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so if it's you know our brothers and sisters in China, you know, and and the government and the persecution, dude. Um, I just read an article yesterday that the two fastest growing um, churches, one of them is in Afghanistan, yeah. and and I mean the underground wow. church is is flourishing, and, yeah. and because the outside opposition, yeah. you know, in light of that, yeah. so yeah, and internal opposition is really the one that that we put our attention and our focus on, and what Paul is doing here. You mentioned screw tape letters, and it made me think of of a moment in that book where, uh, so last week, a couple weeks ago, um, you talked about the. Uh, uh, persecution, yeah. um, things that happen and trials and, and pains and issues. And one of them would be like a spiritual level of, of pain, a spiritual level of persecution, um, suffering. That's the word. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and like use the illustration of people saying like, Hey, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray a little bit more. And I'm noticing like, it's way harder now to do this. All because, hell's broken. Yeah. Loose. yeah. And there's a line in the screw tape letters where, where, um, Wormwood is being written to, and he's saying, Hey, don't, Rather than trying to keep them away from the texts, I think I think is what he calls them, uh, from the scriptures, um, allow them to make a devotion to it, but say not right now, mm. like later, like oh, I'll do that. I have a desire for that, but buy, not right buy now. Buy the devotional, yeah. Buy the moleskin. Yeah, buy it. Put it on your on your bookshelf yep. and look at it and be yep. proud of it and like maybe even keep lie it in your and car. Tell people I read that. Keep it keep <laughs> like, it in your car. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I think that's that's just a snippet of a practical way of like these things creep within the context of the local church and within the context of our lives. It's not not necessarily just this outward oppression. Yeah, um, which I really appreciate that. And Paul's yeah. thrust with it is. You know a false message when you're familiar with the right message. Yeah, man. So, you know, the reason why something can creep in that's false is because we're not familiar with the right one. The gospel yeah. is not something we move beyond. Yeah. The gospel is not something that saves us, yeah. and then we move on to the deeper things of God. Yeah. What Paul is saying is the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that sustains you. Yeah. 
always get back to that pure picture yes. of Jesus. Yes, Amen. We actually we had um, we had an instance this past week in our community. There was a church and a pulpit where where the gospel was not being preached, yeah. um, and it's made its rounds on social media and all of that. And and for those of us who for those of you who who uh, you mentioned this this morning, like if anybody were to spend like it, just an hour a day reading their, an hour a week, yeah. reading their Bible and seeing how God has created man, they'd be able to sniff the air and see a message like that. Yes. Like, this is not the gospel. Yes. It's not how God made men and women, and this is not the way that, that the Bible speaks in a relationship of a marriage and all of that. But we're not going to get too much into that this morning, but um, just wanted to, to mention that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything? You, no, yeah. uh, no. I think what you're saying is right, because it's also, what we're also not saying is, is you have to chase down every wind of false doctrine. Yeah. So, so you always got to, oh, there's this issue, we got to fight against this issue, and then, and right. then there's this issue, we yeah. have to fight against this issue. Paul in the passage lays out four common ones, right? but he always gets back to, this is the gospel. Right. This is the gospel. Yeah. So, so we're not living this exhausted life yeah. of anxiety and fear going, okay, what's the new false one that's going to creep right. up? Yeah. What we're doing is we're living a life familiar and exposed to the gospel that we've been yeah. taught. And yeah. So, we're not standing in a crowd around an accident pointing fingers together. We're right. walking up to the crowd around the accident, grabbing their hand and saying, that's not good, but let me show you something that is. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So we we sort of leaned into this this equation. We say this all the time, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That was kind of the, the driving force behind yep. this week's sermon. And the application to sort of lead us in was Jesus plus blank equals everything. That's yep. like the lie that we believe. Yep. Jesus plus, you know, Jesus plus a, a, a rich bank account, Jesus, yeah. Jesus plus a healthy body, Jesus plus uh, whatever it is for you, fill that's, in the blank. That's what the false teachers were doing. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Was, it wasn't the devil in a pitchfork and reject Jesus or die. Right. It was Jesus is good. Right. Amen. Jesus is good. Amen. But Jesus plus some of this stuff is really good. <laughs> and that's that's what's dangerous. Yeah, for sure. And I... we. You're often transparent on the stage um, at Westside. I'm thankful for that. Um, and you said for you that the fill in the blank for you was sometimes your performance. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, uh, it's it's Jesus plus how others perceive me. Yeah. Um, is definitely uh, what I would equate. Like, man, Jesus is great, but if I could just nail it in this area and have people celebrate and praise me for this or think highly of me or whatever, yeah. then that would be fulfilling for me. And and I the question that I that I want to come off from that is if, if we have a blank there, Jesus plus blank equals everything. Why does it seem so difficult to just leave that blank empty yeah. and to leave it blank, to, to fill it with the word nothing? Yeah. Jesus plus nothing. Why is that so difficult for us? Because I believe that it's the first lie that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given. Yeah. So it was, you're in the garden and God is good, but that tree of knowledge of good and evil, you need that too. And and it's always the temptation that it's not enough. Right. And so the fear and the anxiety of losing control, because to leave that blank, Jesus plus nothing, to really keep it at nothing, requires so much trust yeah. to, to go Jesus is enough in yeah. this sense. And so our default um, mindset is always, and this is what we said, is to take a good thing and make it a God thing right? in that sense. And so that's why it's so hard, because our heart is naturally bent to this. This is what yeah. we mean, guys, when we say, for all have sinned and fallen short yeah. of the glory of God, for for all are sinners, um, all of that is, is that our natural inclination 
is to add and to say that Jesus is enough. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and and Paul, I, we elevate Paul a lot, but he's a man just like you and me, yeah. um, and he struggled with this. He says this in Romans in Romans chapter seven. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I don't do the good that I want, and the evil that I don't want is what I keep on doing. Yeah. Who will? But then he ends with good news. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he says it. Thanks be to God yes. through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so yeah. that's that's what we said. There's. It's not through Jesus Christ and fill in the blank, whatever right. it is for you. It's just through Jesus Christ, yes. our Lord. So so Jesus plus something we've said equals nothing, and the big idea was Jesus is nothing is everything. Yes. And so we we broke it down into four, uh, four categories that we see in the text here, and the first one is this, Jesus plus wisdom equals philosophy. Yeah. Philosophy. What is philosophy? Yeah, Paul uses it real... It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Um, philosophia, which is just the love of knowledge, you know, the love of wisdom. And one of the things, this is where I paused and said, you know, is wisdom a bad thing? Right. No. Like, we need more wisdom in the world, for sure. But when we take a good thing and make it a God thing and put it on the same level as Jesus, um, that's when it's a bad thing. And Paul says in 2 Timothy, you know, another area of false teachers is they're always learning. Yeah. But never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Yeah. So it's always searching, it's always philosophizing, it's always thinking, but it's never coming and submitting yourself right. to a decision yeah. in that sense. Well, that, and that, that brings up an important important question because we live in the Bible Belt and we live we're immersed in Christianity. And yeah. we are we are immersed in in the Bible and we are immersed in this culture of church really of going to church and programs and all of that. And so many of us, the, I think the vast majority of Butler County would say uh, yeah, Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus is important. All of that, but but they would never say like, "Oh, I am idolizing like how other people view me over Jesus." Or right. I'm feeling it. So, like, what are some ways that we engage in idolizing philosophy? Yeah, when we don't even realize it. Like, maybe we're having a conversation with somebody who thinks like, "Oh, yeah, Jesus is great, supreme, all of that," but we see some fruit in their lives that they don't. What are some ways that we engage in that that we don't realize it? Yeah, I think if you look even at the history of academia in the West, like Yale and Harvard and these were planted or started as seminaries yeah. for pastors from the first Great Awakening. Yeah. And they have been swept up in, in this love of knowledge. Now, one of the things that's important is is that Christianity is not anti-academic. Right. That's very important to understand. Sometimes yeah. that's people's beef with Christianity, <laughs> you know, but that's not what we're saying. It what we are saying minds. and what Paul is saying is it's this level of philosophy that's not according to Christ, right? but it's according to man, that it leads you away from the sufficiency of Jesus right. in that sense. And I think a modern-day illustration of this um, is Jordan Peterson. Yeah, man. You know, I, you know, I want to caveat. We're all lobsters. I, right? <laughs> I love Jordan Peterson. I yeah. read 12 Rules for Life, which yep. is a rambly book, as N.T. Wright says. <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, it's incredible. I think he's saying some great things. Yeah. One of the things with the rise of Jordan Peterson is, is Jordan talks about God yeah. and the ordering of, of chaos into order, talks about Jesus, and but uses him 
in a philosophical sense that these are good examples, that these are great questions, the parables, and this, that, and the other. And Jordan would lean to the side that the resurrection is this, is symbolism, right. you know, of us um, dying to ourselves and giving ourselves over to something else. And what I said Sunday was, I think you should even read this book. It's a right. good book. Yeah. But let us get something straight. You can read 12 Rules for Life, get your life in order, beat an addiction, live a quote-unquote good life, die, and go to hell. Yeah. Because that's not what ultimately saves us. Right. Um, it is just Jesus. And I really believe, man, um, and this is the line in the sand, that the answer to life's greatest problems are found in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, man. I really believe that. Yeah. And, and that would be the challenge to present to somebody in this category, someone yeah. like Jordan Peterson of, listen, if Jesus rose from the dead, like Tim Keller would say, then you have to believe everything that he said. Yeah, He's not just a good teacher now. This isn't just practical wisdom. He is Lord yeah. in that sense. Yeah. So No, that's good. And I think that's a good I think that's a good warning sign for us if if we're making an idol out of philosophy, if we're trying to create this love of knowledge, is that if at the center of that, put, putting that knowledge aside and saying, in this area, is Jesus Lord of right. this area? Is he all or nothing in this? And that is a good warning sign as to whether or not we are making an idol out of this idea of philosophy. Proverbs 14 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Yes. Um, there's a way that we can philosophically can seem right, yep. it can sound good, it can feel right, um, but just as you said, in the end it leads to death. And so, yes, the answer to life's greatest problems and everything are found in Jesus. Yes. Uh, so that was the first point that we saw, Jesus and wisdom. And then we spent quite a bit of time on this one, uh, and for good reason, I want to talk about it a little bit. Um, Jesus plus rules equals legalism. Yeah. Legalism. Uh, in verse 16, it said, "No one let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new Sabbath. And we said that Paul's dressing Jewish people in the context of that. And they're saying, yes, Jesus is good, but you've also got to obey these commands and you've yes. got to do X, Y, and Z. And we spent a lot of time here. Um, why did we spend a little bit more time here culturally, our context, maybe Southeast Missouri, whatever? Why sure. did we spend so much time in legalism? Yeah, um, we spent more time here just knowing our congregation and knowing where we're at. Um, this would have been Jesus dealt the harshest words to uh, the quote-unquote religious conservative group of people. Mm-hmm. And what we said was legalism says my obedience earns my acceptance with God, yeah. that what I do makes God love me. Yeah. And if I don't do those things, then I am not in a right standing with God. Yeah. And we said again, does Jesus give us commands? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he does. The Bible is filled with commands, but in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, right. you will obey or keep my commandments. Love comes before the commandments. Yeah. We say this all the time. When did God give Israel the Ten Commandments or right. the law? Yeah. After he saved them out of Egypt. That is a picture of the Christian life. In light of the grace that has saved you, continue to walk in that grace. Yeah. And we said the reason why we spent a lot of time here is because the lie that many Christians believe in our area is grace saved me but my obedience or my performance keeps me secure. Mm. That um, what I do and what I don't do defines my yeah. relationship with God. How do, how do we know if we're doing this? Like, yeah. like 
just as we asked about that first point, like about philosophy, like what are some good warning signs that I am, that I really believe the lie that, yeah, grace saved me, but my performance keeps me in right standing with God? Yeah, well, in the text, in verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you Yeah. Um, in regards. And so one of the warning signs is, uh, and that phrase, pass judgment, means to render a verdict. Yeah. And so do you find yourself judging and rendering verdicts on people because of their behavior, essentially. Right. You know, we said that Christianity is not behavior modification. Right. Your behavior does change, but it's because of heart transformation. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, anytime we start using the phrase, those people, right. those kind of people, yeah. what you've just done is you just rendered a verdict. Right. And you've made yourself sole judge, you know, and authority. Yeah. Can we one, talk? Can we, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I was going to yeah. say one of the things my wife said in the women's thing was we, we had a graphic and it comes from Tim Keller's Gospel in Life. Yeah. I'm just forever indebted to him about what's the difference between religion and the gospel. Yeah. And I think there are many people that are self-deceived, that they are Christians and that they are regenerated and born again. Yeah. And the reality is, is that here's the thing. We often tell sinners to repent of their sin. Right. But we never tell quote unquote righteous people to repent of their righteousness. Mm. And that's what Jesus did with the Pharisees. That's good, man. And that's what they couldn't do. Yeah. They could not lay that down yeah. at all. I want to go through some of the things yeah. in this. In this do it. But before we get there, I want to talk about that righteousness. And I want to talk about how we view others through the lens of legalism, uh, not just outside the church, but within the church. Legalism can do a couple things to us. Um, number one, it can destroy the hope of a non-believer. Yep. It can destroy any hope of having a right standing with God because all there is is shame and condemnation and, and just venom being spewed over actions and all of that stuff. So it can destroy the hope of a non-believer and it can divide the home of believers, the yes. church. It can divide us from within. So I want to ask two-part question. How does it do both of those? How can legal, not, not rules, not rules in and of themselves, commands are good, but legalism, holding them higher uh, than they should be held, how can legalism destroy the hope of a non-believer? Yeah, I think what it does to a non-believer is it gives somebody who's already exhausted <laughs> and who already knows that they can't live up a list of things to do. Yeah. And life's hard enough, man. <laughs> somebody somebody who's drowning and sinking to the bottom, you don't yell at them to kick harder. Right. You jump in and save them. Amen. And the gospel is is that we were dead and drowning yeah. and dead at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And Jesus jumped in and saved us. Yeah. And so it destroys the hope of somebody going, yeah. you know, that's a performance-based deal. I already can't live up to my own standards. Right. It destroys good news as yes. well. It only creates it's bad, bad news. news. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then and then it um divides because it has everybody now rendering verdicts on people. Right. And so, you know, one of the examples we said was let's say somebody says, um, you know, I can't have internet at right. my house. You know, I anytime I have internet at my house, I tend to look at things and now is that a good wise decision? I think for some people, yes. Yeah. But a legalist says anybody that has internet at their house is a sinner. Right. Or alcohol. Yeah. Um, you know, I come from a long line of alcoholics, you know, Pastor Jason, I can't, you know, drink, you know, this that and the other. I think that's a good wise decision. A lot yeah. of warnings in the Bible about that. But the moment that you say any Christians that drink alcohol aren't saved. Yeah. 
man, what you're doing is you're dividing, you're rendering verdicts. And yeah. what you're really doing is you're making yourself stricter than God. You're adding to God's commands. Right. And that's what the Pharisees and, and the legalists did. Yeah. You know, and I think it's something that we do, you know, I mean, I just, you know, how could anybody vote for a Democrat? Right. Or how could anybody vote for a Republican? Yeah. You know, how could any, I mean, we render these verdicts and say this is the standard of righteousness. Yeah. And the standard for righteousness is the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is it. Amen. That is flat out it. Amen. You know? They will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Yes. And greater love has no one than this, than a man would lay his life down for his friends. Yes. The uh, the the graphic by Tim Keller, the diagram, um, immensely helpful. Uh, and we spent some time here, uh, and I want to I want to go through some of these. It's the difference between religion and the gospel, religion versus the gospel. And the very first one is 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 almost foundational in the midst of of the rest that are on the list. And religion would say, "I obey." Therefore, I am accepted. Yeah. So my performance earns my right standing with God. I obey, therefore, I am accepted. The gospel would say the reverse of that. I am accepted, therefore, I obey. Yes. How I, We talk about this all the time, but I want our listeners to know, how different are those two perspectives, and why are they so massively different, and why is that important? Yeah, I think the teachings of the Reformation are really important here, and Martin Luther recovered, you know, the the recovery of the gospel. And in his preaching, he, he distinguishes, and this is all Tim Keller does, is repackage it, is between the law and the gospel, law and grace. Yeah, Those commands in the law we see in the New Testament was given to us not for us to require obedience and righteousness. The law was given to reveal that yeah. we need a Savior. Like an x-ray. Yes. Yeah. The x-ray does not save you, yeah. doesn't heal the bone, yeah. but it diagnoses that something is broken. Yeah. And so the moment that you say, I am going to do this, and when I do this, God loves me, Yeah. That that's religion, that's yeah. works-based, that is literally anti-Christ yeah. um, to the core. Yeah. But the gospel comes along and says, what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ is live the life that you could never live, die the death that you deserved, and the resurrection he now offers you, his righteousness. And Martin yeah. Luther called that the great exchange, where we give Jesus our sin and our brokenness, and then he gives us the standing with the Father. Yeah. That's why Paul would say your life is hidden yeah. in Christ. That when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus, and he sees that standing. Yeah. And so it's paramount to understand the difference of that. Yeah, that's really good. I like the second one on the list. Motivate. The religion says this, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. Yep. And then the gospel, let's just talk about that for a minute. Motivation in life is based on fear and insecurity. Motivation to, to love Christ, motivation to go to church, motivation to read your Bible. Why is it? That having that motivation being based on fear and security, why is that negative, and how is it based on fear and security? Yeah. One of the things we say is what you do is not near as important as why you do it. Yeah, um, why you do it is is the reason why you're doing what you do. Yeah, and so religion says that I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do this because I hope to make it to heaven one yeah. day, and I joke around and say. 
you know, when you're driving on 67 and you see the hitchhiker with his thumb out <laughs> and you don't pick him up, you drive a couple miles and then insecurity and anxiety sets in going, what if that was Jesus or an angel and I die and I get to heaven and he's like, I was on the side of the road and you didn't pick me up. Now you're not coming in. Like it's always chronically insecure yeah. because it's based upon your performance. Yeah. And if you're honest with yourself, you can't even live up to your own standards. Right. You know, and so it's always earning that. Yeah, it's always um, questioning: Am I going to make it? Am I enough? Yeah, and then even it wreaks havoc in your relationships mm. because then you're trying to earn. You know, look at what I'm doing. Am I enough? I did this. Yeah, and you're even insecure in your relationships. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, the good news of the gospel offers a different perspective. It says that motivation in our faith is based on grateful joy. Yes, grateful joy. Can we break that down for a minute? Like those, those are big words. Motivation is based on our grateful joy in Jesus Christ. What, what do we, what does the gospel have for us that offers us joy? Yeah. And how can that be our motivator? I think a good illustration comes from Augustine. He was talking about how perfect love cast out fear and motivation being grateful joy. And he said, imagine that there were two um, women who were married And one of the women um, had another lover, but hasn't committed any acts of adultery yet. Um, But it lives in the insecurity and the fear of desiring another lover. Um, Another woman is faithful to her husband and doesn't desire um, another lover. And Augustine said, if you were to ask either one of them, "Why, why don't you commit adultery or act? The one who has another lover would say, if I did that, my husband might leave. So the consequence, the punishment, the right. fear of punishment. Yeah. And the other one said, um, I don't do that for fear that I would break my spouse's heart. Mm. And that's the difference. Yeah. It's not this, I'm staying in this because there might be a consequence. That's fear and, and, and insecurity. I'm staying in this because there's love, yeah. because I love that person. And so the motivation being based on grateful joy is I get to do this. I'm yeah, free man. now to obey. Yeah. I don't obey, so I'll be free. I'm yeah. free to obey. There's a stark contrast in that. That's good. Here's a good uh, here's a good break check for for what religion has to offer. I'm gonna jump down to the fourth one on the fifth one on the list. When I'm criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it's critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats to my self image must be destroyed at all costs. Yeah. Um, that one rung my bell. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's the fill in the blank. Um, when I'm criticized or I fail, I'm furious or devastated because it's critical. It's critical that I think of myself and others think of me as a good person. Um, the gospel has this to offer: when I am critic, when I am criticized, I struggle. I struggle. This, I mean, that's reality, right? Yeah, I struggle. That's <laughs> what struggle, I love about the struggle it. Struggle is real, but it is not critical for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance but on God's love for me in Christ, I can take criticism. Mm. That's joy. Yep. That's part of joy, That's man. freedom, man. Yeah, there's, That's freedom. there's freedom in that. And, and I want to ask, like, for, if you're listening right now and you identify with this, if you're criticized, you're furious or devastated, um, why? Is it critical that you or others think of yourself as a good person? 
why is that so important to you? Yeah, and what you end up doing in your relationships yeah. is you jockey for the position of power. Right. And so you either don't let people into your life yeah. who um, would love you enough to say some of those things, or you're always in the position of leadership. Yes. So you're always leading the Bible study, or yeah. you you say things like, "Well, I lead these women," or right. "I, you know, I'm counseling this person," or yeah. I mean, you you don't sit down and go speak into my life. Yeah. You yeah. know, because that that's your righteousness. Yeah. You know, I think at the core of that answer of the question of why would that be important, the answer is just simply control. Absolutely. Control and pride. And I, I can only say that because that's the answer for me. Yeah. I feel as I believe the lie is that when I'm in control, um, then things are going to be okay. Yeah. And and uh, people are going to view me all right. But uh, the, the gospel really shows us that we're not really in control of anything, right? No, like, absolutely. What, what really are we in control of? Like, right. Yeah. I love the old illustration. Um, uh, I think it's I think it's on free will, but it applies here for for control as well. Uh, if you're if you're if if a thirsty man is starving and dehydrating in the desert, and he comes across an oasis, does he choose to drink the water or not? Right. Like, right. Like, is he really in control of that situation? Like, sure. oh, I finally found this, and I'm drinking. Like, you're not in control of anything, man. And if anything's taught us that, it's been the last year and three months. Right. That we are not in control of anything. And where the- and where this leads you to is two places: despair and pride. Yeah. Despair because you can never live up. Right. Or a life of pride because yeah. you actually think you do. And so it's important for somebody to hear your successes yeah. and your failures. You know, I heard a guy say, don't let your successes go to your head and don't let your failures go to your heart. Yeah. That's massively important because if you think that your performance, uh, your righteousness, your goodness, your identity is based on that, um, it will always seem, you know, a threat in that direction. Yeah. Let's jump down to the last one on this list. Um, The last one, religion says, since I look to my own pedigree or performance for my spiritual acceptability, my heart manufactures idols. It may be my talents, my moral record, my personal discipline, my social status, etc. I absolutely have to have them so they serve as my main hope, meaning, happiness, security, and significance, whatever I may say I believe about God. Yep. And yes. You know, this is to this, you know, let's say the single person who every day their life is dominated by, when am I going to get married? I need this spouse. I can't. At the end of the day, what you're saying is Jesus plus a spouse equals everything, and your heart is pumping out. You know, Calvin said that the human heart is like an idol factory. We're constantly making them all the time, and adding anything to that inevitably takes away from Jesus because you will end up serving that thing more than you will Jesus. That's what yeah. Jesus meant about you can't serve God and money. Yeah. You'll inevitably end up getting taken out like right. in the river. You'll drift away yeah. in that sense. This is a hard thing to grasp in the Western culture that we live in where everything is revolved. Or like You're not hearing ads or getting ads on your phone that are essentially like, hey, how you doing today? Right. It's really like, hey, I know what is you awful need in this. your life, and here's what you can pay me, and here's the app that can solve Matthew the problem. Matthew McConaughey wants me to get that Buick, man, or that <laughs> right? Lincoln. I don't know. I think it's a Lincoln. I think it's a Lincoln, but, yeah. yeah. And he's always falling into water yes. in commercial for some reason. But but it's so hard for us to, to separate um, this idea of security and the idea of what I have and the idea of how I'm seen is what makes me because that's the bill of goods that we're sold on a daily 
basis. Even yep. if you don't watch television, it's what you scroll through on your phone. It's what you see advertised, thrown up around. It's it's the American dream. Yeah, and I think the, yeah. the, the distinguishing thing is a religious person's prayer life, like what it says there, consists of petition and heaps up things only in times of need. Yeah. So a religious person prays, you know, God, keep my family safe, be with them, be with them, be with them. Yeah. That's your daily prayer, and then really when cancer or things come in, it's God heal them, God heal them, God heal them. Yeah. And the gospel motivation prayer life um, consists of generous stretches of praise yeah. and adoration. Yeah. Jesus, you, you know, you're beautiful, you're enough, God. You know, it's the Psalms. Yeah. It, it's communion. It's spending time with God. Yeah. And we said the goal of follow. The goal of following Jesus is Jesus. Right. That if somebody were to ask you, what does Christianity offer me? Yeah. And I think that's an important question that we should be able to answer. Yeah. If a non-believer were to say, well, then what what does Christianity offer me? Some people might say forgiveness, joy, right. peace. Those those are a byproduct. Yeah. What Christianity offers you is Christ. Amen. Jesus. Yeah. A person. That's what Christianity yeah, offers you. That's good. And um, I heard somebody say it this way: Religious people find Jesus useful. Yeah. But Christians find Jesus beautiful. Yeah, man. That's a that's a big deal. That's good. That's good. Well, on the other side of this graph for the gospel, um, in terms of, I just I, for some reason I want to call this the American dream. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the religion side seems like the is the American dream an idol. Can we Ab- make it an idol? Absolutely. Like, is there anything? No question. I'm not saying that that the American, the American gospel is what I would call it. Yeah, yeah. The good news. Yeah. No. Well, the the gospel side of this chart, uh, in re- in reference to, I guess, what I've titled the American gospel, American dream, is I have many good things in my life: family, work, spiritual disciplines, etc. But none of these good things are ultimate things to yep. me. They're not the final thing. None of them are things that I absolutely have to have. Bro, family's on that list. Yep. Yep. So there is a limit to how much anxiety, bitterness, and despondency they can inflict on me when they are threatened and or lost. And what God does to us in our life, because he loves us, is he takes us through seasons of yeah. you know what we can call the wilderness, yeah. where he takes those things away from us. That's what he did to Israel, is they wandered for 40 years, yeah. and so they didn't have the ease and comfort. And so through seasons of suffering and purging, what God is doing is he's pruning us. Yeah. So if you're listening to this right now and you're in a in a dark season or a tough season that you just feel like, man, where's my joy? Where's this? Rather than viewing that as an obstacle, what if it's an opportunity that God's exposing some idols? You know, so maybe you're in a position of leadership and you're in a season right now where you're having to make hard decisions and people don't like those decisions, so in turn, they don't like you. Well, if you're taking that criticism as devastated to the core, maybe underneath that, you've put too much weight in what people think about you. Yeah. Or through COVID and maybe success and money. Yeah. And, and, and this season, these things have been taken away. And we know that Jesus is all, and Jesus is all we have. Yeah. And so those are not obstacles; those are those are gospel opportunities yeah. and invitations. That's good. And and those are good things. Yeah. They're good things. Amen. Well, Jesus and wisdom, philosophy. Jesus and rules, legalism. The third one was this, and we'll probably have to wrap it up with this third point. Um, we're getting on our time yeah. here. Jesus plus experiences 
equal mysticism. Yep. If we fill in that blank with an idol of experience, we can create an the idol of mysticism. Yeah. In verse 18, it says, No one would disqualify you inviting on the worship of angels and going on in detail about visions and etc. Um, when we read this, like I think we we see this language language and we're like, oh man, like I would never engage in something like that. Right, like, right. I would never see that. But but it's actually it's actually prevalent. I think sure. I think we see it on a regular basis. And and so how how do we see mysticism within the confines of a church? Yep. And then, how can that be dangerous? Like, and I'll get into the details yeah. of that question. But yeah. where do we see mysticism within the church? This is fun. This could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But Christianity, um, you know, started in the Middle East. Man, we yeah. follow a brown skin man, right? And so, um, just like how Israel had to ward off the other religions, so Christianity, being Middle Eastern, has always had to fight against. Um, you know, Middle Eastern mysticism on stuff. Uh, here's a fun fact. I think you can trace the origins into the American Western church around the time that we see the Beatles going to like Hani Krishna mm. and the 60s revolution and all of that. Those things start creeping in. Yeah. We don't know exactly what the false teaching was um, in Colossae, but we do know that they were saying that you can conjure angels. That's why Paul says worship of angels. Yeah. And what mysticism says is, I get closer to God by supernatural experiences. So it's always supernatural experiences. It's chasing visions, chasing dreams, chasing the God-told means. Miracles. Yes, miracles. Now, you know, I believe um, in Acts, it says that miracles followed the preaching of the gospel. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that we follow miracles. Right. Miracles follow us right. in, in, um, in that sense. I think that's very important. And, and let me clarify, I'm not a cessationist. Cessationism is a form um, in the church that says the spiritual gifts and the supernatural things that we predominantly see in the New Testament have ceased. Right. That's cessationism. Just for the apostles. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I would be a continuist. Yeah. I would be a caution, yeah. cautionary continuist. Yeah. But I say all that to say, this is in the church. Right. And so if you grew up in a charismatic background, uh, just buckle your seatbelt if right. you're driving in your car. <laughs> um, but this is those things that in, in charismatic churches, when people put way more stock, yeah. when the preacher starts to say things like, you know, right now I feel like God's telling me, and then everybody leans in on their chair. Right. And whatever he says, there's like immediate response to that. Right. Versus in Colossians chapter one, right. God said, Yeah. That's a problem. Right. Or in bookstores, when people rush out to buy these books like 22 Minutes in Heaven. Yeah. And they read that versus reading about heaven in their Bible. Right. Guys, those are forms of mysticism. Yeah. And mysticism consists always of two things, spirituality, yeah. just like we talked about. Um, Barna just did a recent survey where a majority of people say that they're spiritual, yeah. but they're not Christians. Hmm. Well, that's dangerous. Right. Because demons are spiritual. <laughs> right. I, I, I right. Mean, yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, you know, seances and meditating yeah. and, you know, this, that, and yeah. the other. But... Paul also says um, at the end of that verse, in verse 18, they're puffed up, arrogant. So these these people are saying, you know, you're JV Christian. Right. You need to, you know, you need the Holy Ghost or, right. or, or this, that, and the other. And 
they have a sensuous mind. Yeah. Bro, I've always seen the people that say, God told me, Yeah. I feel like most of the time is an excuse to leave out from under spiritual authority. Yeah. Um, these people always, God always tells them to be in a position of authority, not to be under authority. Right. And it's always an excuse for sexual sin. Yeah. So it's my girlfriend and I are going to stay living together and we're moving and we're switching churches because God told us or we really feel like there's an opportunity over here. Yeah. And, and man, I've been in the game long enough right. to know that that's an excuse for yeah. sexual sin. Yeah, yeah. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah, well, and what, these are warnings that Paul is giving to the, to the local church, the church, the rural church, our context, a rural yes. community in Colossae. Yes. And, and he's saying that, that tied in with these experiences and this mysticism, they're, they're almost interchangeable, is the spirituality and sensuality. And so it's a warning. It's a it's a yes. danger that hey this this spirituality this sensuality can creep in in the midst of you playing around with this stuff like yep. like mysticism and experiences. So so why is why is our sexuality we'll say it that way and what we do with our bodies so important and emphasized in the Bible? That's the first question. I got yeah. one after that. But why wow. why is our sexuality and what we do with our bodies so important and emphasized? And I mean, I'm thinking about the covenant of marriage. I'm thinking about circumcision. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking about everything that's intimately involved in this. Why is it so important and why is it emphasized? Yeah, because I think it goes back to the garden and there is nothing more intimate um, in that sense that we can do with our bodies. Now, we are more than sex. Yeah. Okay, so there's also another idol within the church that's right. like, you know, family and 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 this, that, and the other, but... When Adam and Eve, the first emotion that Adam and Eve felt when they sinned was shame. Yeah. Because it says they both realized that they were naked right. and they ran and hid themselves. There is a shame that comes with sexual sin that is more powerful than any other. Now, let me clarify this statement. Yeah. All sin is equally damning. Yeah. But not all sin is equally damaging. Okay. Yeah. So you talk can, about that. You can lie. Yeah. Um, and you know, lie about money and get an extra twenty bucks. Okay. Right. Maybe the consequences of that um, <clears throat> aren't that great. Or you can drink fourteen beers, drive your car, and kill a family. Right. Dri and so your drunkenness yeah. had different consequences right. than the stealing of a $20 bill. Yeah. Both are equally damning. Yeah. They have now, you know, we are now deserving of God's wrath. The Apostle Paul would say later on in um, First and Second Corinthians that joining your body with someone um, is an intimate act. And going around doing that has a different level of consequences to it. Yeah. But please, please listen to this. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the guilt and shame of anybody listening to this, whether it's pornography or whether it's sexual sin, you are not your past. Yeah. Amen. And because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, yes. you are pure yeah. and you are righteous in God's sight. Yeah. And that guilt and that shame, we're preaching now, bro. Yeah, man. That guilt and that shame is not of the Lord. Yeah. And so 
please, Jesus plus sex doesn't equal everything. Right. It's, that's not your identity. Yeah. It is only who you are in Christ. And that's I think good. in today's culture where it is, you know, I, I like the way one preacher categorizes it, sex is either God, gross, or gift. Yeah. And so it's either God, which is what our culture is. I think legalism says that it's gross, but the Bible says that it's a gift. Yeah. But if your walk with Jesus consists of supernatural experiences, then your feelings become facts. You're always chasing a high. Yeah. And the grind of Monday to Monday, yeah. of just reading your Bible and journaling in your moleskin, you just think that you're not really walking with the Lord then. Yeah. But the reality is, is that it's only Jesus and just Jesus. Yeah, so, that's good. Those are big questions. That's really good. You used an illustration of a balloon, and you like blew it up, and, <laughs> and you got COVID everywhere all over. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. All over, it all flew over all over the place because they're not attached. <laughs> right. Paul says that yeah. they have a sensuous mind, and they're right. not attached to the head. Yeah, I've, I've got two more questions that'll that'll kind of guide us to our end here. And, and this question was more in the content of sensuality, sexuality, and all that, but it applies to the big picture. How does being connected to Christ and the local church Church, help us from these idols, from mysticism, mm. spirituality, sensuality. How does being connected to the head, to God's Word, and to the body of Christ, the church, how does that help us to, I guess, abstain from these idols or be more aware of them or whatever? Yeah. I wanted to use an illustration from Greek mythology, <laughs> uh, Simon of Cyrene. Yes. And in Greek mythology, the Cyrenes were these beautiful women who would sing and hypnotize men on the ocean and lead them over to where they were. But where they were was these jagged, devastating rocks. And so as you were hypnotized listening to the women sing, you would steer your boat and you would crash and die. Yeah. Well, Simon of Cyrene said, and he knew where he was going, he told his men to tie him to the mass of the ship Yeah. and that no matter what, to not untie him, and yeah. no matter what he said, to not un untie him because that wasn't him. Right. He was under the hypnosis of that. That is what the local church is for fellow Christians, yeah. is it keeps us not only accountable but safe. Yeah. It ties us to the mass and says that those distractions and those dangers, yeah, man. Um, just like that speech that Steve Cannon would give our kids, is there's a lot of things in this river that can take you out, yeah. and, and, and you need that group of people around you. Secondly, man, I think the exposure to the weekly gathering of God's yeah. people makes you more and more familiar with the gospel message. Yeah. So when a false message comes, yeah. you fight the false message by being familiar with the right one. Yeah, man. And I think that's what the weekly gathering does. Yeah, that's good. That's really, really good. Well, let's let's move on towards towards our last question. Uh, in your closing statements, um, after asceticism and, and point number four, uh, you said, what's the answer in all of this? In verse 6... Paul says, therefore, as you received him, yes. as you received Christ the Lord, yes. so walk in him. And I, I want to ask this rhetorically for you listening as we close this. How did you receive Jesus? Yep. Where were you? What was on your mind? What were your circumstances? R write it down. Write it down in the, in the front page of your Bible. Yep. Remember it. Revisit it. How did you receive Jesus? Because Paul is telling us, and what the New Testament teaches and preaches, is we were dead. We were lost and broken, dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God, 
being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, as Ephesians 2 says, made us, even when we were dead in those sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Yes. By grace you have been saved. That's good news this morning. Amen. How did you receive Jesus? Write that mug down. Remember it. Revisit it. Be thankful and live in that way. Remember, we never move beyond that. Yes, we are made more and more like Jesus, and we are made we are made more and more to, to operate in obedience, and, and we don't always get it right, but we can always go back and look. Just like God would remember the people of remind the people of Israel, remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Let's remember how God saved us and remember and revisit it and live yes. in that way. Jason, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap things up? No, man, that's it. The okay. key is is that's the whole passage yeah. is is the way you received and broken, broken, needy, uh, with nothing, that yeah. dependency. Yeah. Um, so walk in him every day. This yeah. is good news. Be aware, yeah. as Paul says, see, see that nobody takes you captive. Amen. And and walk in Christ. Amen. I'm going to close with some words from Jesus yes. and then finish us out. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and if it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, guys. So as always, thanks again for listening to the rest of the sermon. If you want more information about who we are as a church, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. You can visit us in person at our church at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and you can catch our live stream at 11 a.m. on Facebook for that service as well. If they have any questions about what we discussed, what can they do, Tyler? Oh, I completely forgot. Why don't you tell me, Jason? Where do they go? If you've got any questions (laughs) about the podcast or about the sermon or anything like that, shoot us an email. This is a form to continue the conversation. Shoot us an email at info, I-N-F-O, at westsidepb.org. We want to hear from you. Yep, we want to hear from you. That's good, man. That's good. Thanks for your time today, man. This is great. Yes, it's good stuff. As always, may everything that we say and do in our lives be all about Jesus.